0: You're listening to Cloud9, where Bahaiteachings.org interviews artists from around the globe to learn about what inspires, uplifts, and motivates them to make a positive contribution to the world. My name is Shadi Talui-Wallace. Our Cloud9 guest artist in this episode has earned multiple Grammy Awards and accolades as a producer, engineer, and songwriter in a career that has spanned over almost four decades. He's produced and written works for artists like Carlos Santana, Ricky Martin, Bon Jovi, Janet Jackson, Luis Miguel, Khaled, Ozomatli, Anna Gabriel, Selena, Michael Jackson, and the list just goes on and on. He's made critical contributions to the music world by introducing Western audiences to Latin music and also introducing Anglo music to the Spanish-speaking world by translating hit songs for artists like Voice to Men, Sting, Brian McKnight, and Tony Braxton, and again, the list goes on and on. Our guest artist in this episode is also a performer and recording artist in his own right, He's made appearances on stages all over the world and released two solo projects under his own name, most recently an album titled Cruzanderos, which he released last year. He is also one of the founding members of Oneness, a nonprofit organization that promotes racial unity through music, arts, and education. Our guest artist in this episode is none other than Casey Porter. Born in Los Angeles, Casey's parents, who were both successful artists and also members of the Baha'i faith, accepted an invitation in the 1970s to move to Guatemala as a family when Casey was just seven years old. It was here that Casey's parents would assist in strengthening the local Baha'i community of Guatemala, and it was during this time that Casey was first exposed to Latin sounds, rhythms, and instruments. In his interview with Cloud9, we'll hear recollections of what it was like to work with some of the world's biggest artists in bridging the West with the Latin music world. We'll learn more about his organization, Oneness, and his recent album release, We'll also discuss the role and impact that faith and spirituality has undoubtedly had on his own successful career. Casey Porter, welcome to Cloud9.
1: Great to be with you. Thank you for having me.
0: So let's take things back a bit. You were born in Los Angeles and in the 1970s, early 1970s, when you were just seven years old, your parents left their successful careers to move you and your family to Guatemala, a country that was in the midst of a military dictatorship and a civil war. Most people would have thought your parents were crazy, but as Baha'is, it's quite common to leave a comfortable life in pursuit of establishing Baha'u'llah's world-embracing vision of unity and oneness in other parts of the world. So could you walk us through this transition and the impact it had on your own faith as a child?
1: What I remember is my father, uh, told me that he was asked by a a prominent musical figure, a guy named Russ Garcia uh, in in Los Angeles, who asked him if he might be able to conduct the the Baha'i Choir while he was had to leave uh, for a few weeks to go to New Zealand. So my father accepted this job, not really knowing much about anything other than you know that that I think Russ Garcia had given him a copy of a book called A Thief in the Night which which uh is a beautiful book that really was inspiring my dad so he he russ garcia said can you uh, help me out with this so he went to the baha'i baha'i center and when he got there he just said that he saw this diversity that he had never really seen before and he just said to himself this is what i've been looking for all my life and um and it just really to be to be exposed to people of, of all you know of all races um just in a way that he hadn't seen before. So he ended up becoming a Baha'i and my mother kind of grappled with it a little bit. Over time, she became a Baha'i and once they, once, like I think a year later, it took my mom kind of a while to kind of, to, to fully make, make you know, to, to embrace the, the Baha'i faith. But then she and he decided they wanted to do something greater, which was to go to Guatemala. So we are now on an airplane. I'm seven. We had sold our home had the garage sale, the whole thing, and were going into a country where, yeah, I had no idea what was going on. And I don't know if, if my parents knew what was going on in Guatemala with, uh, politically, um, but we went there and um, it, it changed my life without a doubt. I learned a whole new culture and um, and just kind of stepped out of a comfort zone that was really... Um, You know, I had a, you know, wonderful, you know, this life where (laughs) living in a in a nice suburban neighborhood in in Los Angeles. And um, so I but I didn't I I, I think the hardship that I got to experience wasn't that bad, but it was uh, it was more it was so much more enlightening and more. Um, it was just, uh, you know, it really changed who I am. And, you know, that's the next <laughs> story.
0: <laughs> we'll get we'll come to that. We'll come to that. So it's without a doubt that your immersion in Latin music is a result of your family's faith and their decision to move to Latin America. So I'd love to now talk about what this experience was like for you on a musical level. What sorts of sounds and rhythms were you exposed to? Who or what inspired you? And who were you able to collaborate with and learn from during your time and your teens in Guatemala?
1: The interesting thing is the music that people were listening to in Guatemala was, there was either music like cumbia music, um, which was what, anyway, there was cumbia music and there was also like the more pop kind of uh, romantic music. Like either Camilo Sesto or Jose Jose or Julio Iglesias or um, uh, Roberto Carlos from Brazil singing in Spanish. So all of a sudden I'm just listening to all this beautiful romantic music and and what was really the import music for Guatemala was the romantic music from abroad. So I was listening to like Latin romantic music and then global romantic music uh, and... And there was, there was some rock and roll, but I didn't get as much rock and roll because it was just really, it's such a romantic culture that, so the rock and roll was just kind of like a hidden thing that you, you it was harder to find that. Even though I would go on to produce a lot of rock uh, bands from Latin America, I kind of got a, a sensibility for romantic
0: music. Interesting. So we'll, we'll delve more into this influence uh, later on in the interview. Um, but coming back to like the beginnings of your music career, I know I'm simplifying things here a bit, but after roughly 10 years in Guatemala, you returned to the United States to study music and soon began working as an arranger, composer, and producer in Los Angeles. Now, having been immersed in Latin culture, and music for so many years. I'm really curious about what your observations were surrounding Latin music in the West at the time and what you believe your experience would bring to the table. I think I'm, I'm just really curious about that breakthrough moment that you saw in Bridging These Two Worlds.
1: Well, I don't think there was like this aha kind of moment in, in this sense. I mean, it really, what it was, it was a time when, uh, global latin artists were were trying to figure out what their production would sound like and if their options were to record in their hometown or to record in spain which was like really that was like the production hub for a lot of latin artists or to go to los angeles that that we we became kind of like the go-to place four artists that wanted to get that international sound so it was i always feel like i kind of like it was unfair for, from you know for other people that were trying to figure it out and i'm sitting here in los angeles where all the studios are where all the engineers are the the greatest diversity and um you know the resources were were, were here the musicianship you know was was just amazing so um I always feel like it was unfair, but I'm. I also grew up with a father who, who is an arranger uh, that really gave me a lot of, a lot, empowered me. You know, so I really feel like I, be, arranging a song, knowing the chords. You know, knowing how, knowing all the stuff that uh, a lot of producers may not know. I really feel like I had also had that advantage. So that was really great. My father did a lot of arranging for TV shows when he was in LA for TV shows like Lassie or Woody Woodpecker or laugh or a lot of different, uh, you know, just very diverse. And, um, and, he, and he, that was something he did give up when he went to Guatemala. So, yeah.
0: And like, we had, you know, we're talking like Janet Jackson, Jerry, Hallowellith, mm-hmm. I know from the Spice Girls, Bon Jovi, Brian <laughs> McKnight, like these huge musicians like Sting, Like what? What was going on in in the United States or in the Western music world that compelled these really well-known Western artists to start singing their same songs, but in, in Spanish?
1: Yeah, well, I had been working at a and so there was a lot of the a and artists from Sting to Janet to um, Lady in Red. Krista Berg was a and um, They also had... Um, I think you too, I wish we could have done you too in spanish, but but a lot of people were realizing that there was like half a billion people in Latin America and trying to get that all you had to do was do a Spanish version of your song well, and all of a sudden you'd have you know that those numbers as new fans. I think everybody was interested in that. I remember Bon Jovi was saying like, "Why do I really have to do this?' And, uh, you know, and um, and I say, well, you know, that's there's. I said, there's like five to 600 million people in Latin America. And he's just like, okay, let's do it. You know, no problem. But I, you know, I think labels want one, but, but it ended up changing the landscape of, of Latin music in my opinion, because a lot of stuff that we did like Tony Braxton or boys to men, uh, we did a whole album with boys to men. The evolution album was done in Spanish. So that, that I think made its way to the, to Latin audiences, and then before you know it, you start seeing these R&B influences in Latin music. And that was really exciting to see, and it still lingers to this day.
0: Wow, yeah, absolutely. Like, we hear so much cumbia, reggaeton, so much influence from South America um, entering or being introduced to the Western um, music scene. So it's wonderful to hear kind of where the, the beginnings were and how you were a part of it. So in addition to working with some of the biggest names in Western entertainment and translating their hits to Spanish for the Latin audience, you also worked with some of South America's most popular artists, Los Fabulosos, Selena, and Ricky Martin, just to name a few, as you'd already mentioned. How did these collaborations come about, and what were you hoping to really introduce for the first time to a Western audience?
1: Well, I had been doing a lot of pop music, uh, a lot of Latin pop, and um, the the Fabulosos Cadillacs came along. Their manager was a good friend of mine, and he said, hey, there's this band, and we're trying to find a producer for them. And I I didn't feel like he was right in line with what I had been doing, and, and I played some for my wife, who's a big specials and the uh, English beat fan and she just said oh my gosh you got to do these guys <laughs> <laughs> so we immediately uh, agreed to this and the, the media was all over this one saying like oh these, the, you know, these guys are going to their sound will, will be ruined this guy's a pop producer and they're from Argentina and, and the guy who, who who was the big pop rock or the rock producer of Argentina Gustavo Santaolalla who later would go on to make you know the scores for brokeback mountain and north, north country i mean he won back-to-back oscars uh it's amazing he you know he came to me and said you know you're not a rock producer you know right <laughs> and i said well you know what we're just having fun here you know we're doing our thing and it ended up being like a big you know big great thing and the song matador came from it and now it's a big anthem." And, at the soccer stadiums, when when someone's about to score, everybody s- sings the song Matador, Matador, yeah. You know, so it's. Um, I think the 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 thing is, we get stuck in stereotypical things that we have to do. Ricky was a was a fluke thing. We 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 gave him what he needed, what what felt right. You know, giving him his roots, his roots back, and no one was no one was putting roots into music. I think the fact that I I didn't really you know carry one particular flag i was really i was more universal and global minded so when i would come into a project like ricky's i was just thinking i was just thinking what can we do from a latin perspective from a from an african perspective from whatever perspective it was really eclectic and it was big and beautiful and it had it had big strings uh and it would have some rock and roll elements and so so ricky really got got and you know, got a, a whole balanced, crazy, you know, mm-hmm. and the lyrics were the lyrics were were unique too. We really cared about not just saying anything, and and really, really thoughtfully piecing together albums. That was always something that was so important for me. You know, excellence in all things is something that the that, that Baha'i writings talk about. So I really wanted to make sure that everything I did, if I put my, you know, my, my, you know, my seal on it. It had to be, it had to be as excellent as I could make it.
0: Of course. Of course. And tell me if you think this is too personal or racy, Mm -hmm. but as to the question of identity you're visibly this Caucasian American man, but inside you've got all these very strong Latin roots. So I'm really curious about how these artists perceived you and how you perceived yourself. And if you experienced any of this kind of like imposter syndrome that we hear um, a lot of people talking about when they're working with communities that are different to their own?
1: I think, you know, the critical years that I grew up were seven to 17. So I really feel like I I am kind of at my core, very Latino, you know, and I feel like it's a double edged sword for me. And I feel like, and it's just like, if I want to turn on my Latin side, I'm, I'm Latin. If I want to turn on my, my gringo side, you know? I'm 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 there for whatever yeah. whatever occasion you know, and it's great because I really feel like it opens doors in ways that you know no other no nothing else could you know language is so important and it's but I understand the culture so anyway it's it's great I I felt no insecurity whatsoever I felt like I
0: it was like your superpower it was
1: yeah and I felt like I <laughs> yeah. was empowered I could speak English when I needed to <laughs> I could speak Spanish and, but it is mm-hmm. at the same time and there's a there's a I think my approach to production was there's the, what's the joke about the, how many producers does it take to screw in a light bulb? And it's like, <laughs> I don't know, what do you think? That's the, the punchline, <laughs> you know? And that really became kind of like this mantra for me is when people would come to me and say, hey, what do we do? You know, they're they're fighting yeah. over what instrument they want to have. Is it acoustic guitar or is it electric solo, you know? And I just would ask mm-hmm. them, what do you guys think? And then they would yeah. do, they would provide the answer ultimately. So it's kind of like I am more of a sounding board.
0: Right, like a real having a real humble posture of learning.
1: Although producers out there mm-hmm. will will say, are you guys kidding? No, you're going to use an electric guitar. And that's you know, and I really feel like I, I think the approach of just letting them really find these answers for themselves because ultimately they're going to have to live with this music day after day. And so so they have to really find yeah. And, and ultimately, a lot of artists will go on to produce themselves, hopefully, you know, not even need me anymore.
0: Yeah, and it feels like you're really um, able to apply the teachings of the Baha'i Faith when it comes to consultation and also accompaniment. Um, and the other thing I was really reflecting on is this idea of like identity, um, transcending race and gender and nationality. Um, would you say that the Baha'i Faith was a big part of, of that as well?
1: Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel I I feel that every day I mean I'm conscious of that because because at the core of what the Baha'i faith is all about is the unity of of all humankind. So how can I not be trying to recognize that in everything I do? Because there there is no exclusivity in what we do as Baha'is. It's so inclusive of all of all people, of all thought, somewhere in the writings it talks about uh, to not come in saying like I know everything and you don't know anything. That's not a that's not a conducive to influence to influence, right? As right. a teacher, but if you say like I don't know, but let's investigate this together and mm-hmm. find the truths together. That's a beautiful approach.
0: Yeah, and probably very unique and almost revolutionary for the music mm-hmm. industry at that yeah. time. Yeah. So in 1999, you completed writing and producing Carlos Santana's album, Supernatural. You were awarded a Grammy for your work on the production of this record, which sold over 30 million copies worldwide. And you also won a Latin Grammy for your work on the single Corazon Espinado.
1: Yes, with Maná. Yes. Uh-huh. Could you
0: share how that connection came about with Carlos, and also the inspiration behind the album? Because I know that there is a very strong connection between the writings of Bahaullah, in particular a, a book which he revealed called "The Hidden Words." Um, to this, to this story, and to this record.
1: Well, we had just finished releasing Ricky Martin's music that um, there was a song Maria, it became a big hit all around the world. And especially in France, it was a big, it was, you know, huge phenomenon. And and, and Santana had been touring Europe and he saw what a big phenomenon Ricky was. And he called our office when he got back to to the U S and said, I, I want you to do what What you did with Ricky with me. And um, I mean, that's, it's just kind of like there's no guarantee that that can happen. It's just a lot of timing and a lot of good luck. And, but I think that, but it was strange because we said, absolutely. I reached out to my good friend JB Eccle and JB was like, Oh dude, I'll do anything. And like, so we immediately, (laughs) we, we set up an appointment. We went down to the studio and um, we met with Carlos. And the crazy thing was he starts pulling out all these, these, paintings and posters and we're looking at these paintings wow these are beautiful
0: colors nah.
1: and then he just kind of looks at us and he said that's what i want my record to sound like, <laughs>
0: <laughs> we were like is that how he sounds yeah
1: <laughs> oh yeah you should have jv on the sh- on, on the show yeah uh, but it's crazy because he he really <clears throat> would see see music you know in ways that and, and and he would communicate in ways that were just kind of like supernatural. You know, he really he was on a frequency that I really really give him so much credit for because I really feel like he's he's really tried his best to be focused and you walk into the studio in the morning and instead of saying, "Hey, how about those Dodgers?" he's saying, "We need to spread a spiritual virus." You know, and that mm. sets the tone for the session and that sets the tone for we're like oh my gosh yes thank you carlos thank you for reminding us that we are again we are spiritual beings here with a responsibility as artists so so we we met with carlos up at his at his home in san rafael uh california northern california and um so he he just brought us into all this his spiritual aura uh, you know it's really beautiful and and, and as we were uh, we would talk about so much spiritual 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 stuff and then as we were leaving the first day he said oh I want you to have this present and give and he gave us a copy. One of us gave. He gave a copy of the hidden words, and and I think he had another book of conversations with God, and he signed the books and gave them to us. But we were, and we were wow. like, wait a minute, Carlos. Um, so you know about the Baha'i faith and everything. And Carlos is like, he said, oh, it's beautiful. And and every time we talk about religion, he would always say, it doesn't matter if you're Buddhist, if you're Baha'i, if you're Christian, you, you know, whatever he, you know. And we were very. And he would say that on stage too, and just really somebody who. Uh, in his words, he always talked about embracing, embrace your absoluteness, you know. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of back to that mm-hmm. whole concept of oneness, the oneness of humanity, and the oneness of God, and the oneness all, the oneness of everything. Um, and um, so anyway, so he really wanted us to infuse that into the music. So we were really given this 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 responsibility to to try to do something. And there's so there, there's a song that jb and i during the baha'i fast i guess it was 98 or i don't know i guess it 98 before the record came out and um we were reading a, a writing and i and i found a quote i think this is the one that says it says soon the whole world as in springtime will change its garb the turning and falling of the autumn leaves is past the bleakness of the winter time is over The new year hath appeared and the spiritual springtime is at hand. The black earth is becoming a verdant garden. The deserts and mountains are teeming with red flowers. From the borders of the wilderness, the tall grasses are standing like advanced guards before the cypress and jessamine trees. While the birds are singing among the rose branches like the angels in the highest heavens, announcing the glad tidings of the approach of that spiritual spring. And the sweet music of their voices is causing the real essence of all things to move and quiver. And we were, so we were in, the Baha'i fast is 19 days prior to the, uh, the new year, which is the spring equinox. So we were uh, uh, approaching this, you know, this new spring and looking at everything around us is beautiful. But knowing also that, in, that the Baha'i faith talks about, that we are living in this spiritual springtime right now, so that's something that that we wanted to try to talk about in a song. So we wrote a song called Primavera, um, and it says in the in the verse, it's uh, it says La tierra negra se vuelve verde y las montañas y el desierto un bello jardín. So the black earth becomes a verdant garden, and the and the mountains and the deserts become a beautiful garden. And then the chorus is,
2: So it's just like in the, in,
1: uh, like the seed that carries new life, there is in this springtime, a new era. You know, and Carlos, just like lit up when, when we when Loved we played it, it for him like, yeah so i mean i could tell you the whole, more i don't know how much time we have but yeah
0: well just do it just tell us everything well, every time just stop from the beginning
1: well <laughs> the funny thing about that song was as we were putting it together so carlos he said i love it i love it so we went in the to started working on it and um carlos came out to the studio and we worked on the solo for the for the song and then, and then he left and then we stayed up for hours you know, constructing and deconstructing the solo and we're like yeah we think we got it you know we cut we cut and, and edited his solo and it's beautiful now and then the following morning he walks in he said and, and we're like hey Carlos we got something for you and he's like oh I, I got something for you guys too we're like, oh, what is it? You know, like we defer to his greatness. (laughs) And he says, I was thinking about, because we were so excited to play him the intro to the song. And he said, I was thinking about the intro to the song and how instead of being like this, you know, this handshake, this like this strong handshake, I wanted to be more like a warm embrace. And we were Mm. like, yeah, that sounds great. He said, like, kind of like the sun when it's coming up, on the horizon in the morning, the sunrise, you know it slowly starts to warm warm you he you know and, and we're like, yeah, that sounds great. He said like, also oh, you know if you would indulge me, let can you let me play play it for you you know and it's yeah. like that kind of humility and that and that level of of respect and trust that he had it for us and in us you know it was it, it was just I mean, made for the most perfect uh, kind of working relationship but so he starts wow. playing this this melody and it's like this. <laughs> and it was just beautiful melody that just felt like yeah we, we get it but he really is thinking he's thinking it, it, with those kind of uh, images in his head mm-hmm. colors sometimes mm-hmm. and we were always joked about Carl's gonna say oh can I, want, can I have my solo more green or you know we always joke and he really never did that which is which I mean yeah. because that would be maybe too predictable right <laughs> but, but there mm-hmm. was one moment when he said we were working on, I think the uh, after the second album we did after after Supernatural we were doing a single for another record, and he said, "Oh, that mix, uh, it feels a little. I think he said it feels a little little red. Or can can you make it redder? You know, and it was we knew that it was maybe it just needed to be warmer, perhaps you know, or that those yeah was, you know. So we got to kind of finally we got to to, to guess at what he meant by that that particular color. Right. But, um, yeah, but it was a real beautiful experience working with him because he did allow us to, to use our spiritual, uh, you know, our excitement and spiritual energy and put that into something that he wanted to see, uh, you know, hit the, the airwaves and he wanted to spread yeah. the spiritual virus.
0: Wow. Yeah. That is like I'm so glad we captured that. That's so precious. Yeah. And so yeah, to have that experience with such a great such a greatness. I don't even know how to yeah, call him. Yeah. He's not a prophet, but Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but he he really is a uh, Yeah, yeah, exemplary in in the musical world, for sure.
0: Um, So speaking of great musicians, in 2001, you also joined forces with Michael, none other than Michael Jackson, (laughs) following Uh the (laughs) attacks on, uh, sorry, I shouldn't be laughing, the attacks on the World Trade Center. Um, And you worked on a benefit song called What More Can I Give? Is that correct? Yeah,
1: we worked on, he called, yeah, the Spanish version.
0: How did that, how did that, how did that kind of come about? Or what was that experience like?
1: Yeah, we got the call and Michael wants to meet and wants to talk about, this thing that he had already started. They they started working. They had Beyonce had sung the demo and throughout in, in English, and so I we took the song and we did a Spanish Spanish version, and it was just kind of like you know can you help make this happen? So it's really start calling people, and immediately I called Ricky. I called um, you know we called Ricky. We called Shakira. We called everybody before we knew it. We had Celine Dion on the track. We had uh John Secara, you name it, Luis Miguel, Shakira, everybody with uh Gloria Estefan, uh Julio Iglesias, Luis Miguel, uh Olga Tanyon, the biggest, the biggest names in the Latin world. And um yeah, so it was great. And Michael came in one day and when I and I was piecing it all together and he just heard it. And he, you know, he was he started, you know, tears coming down his face and he just looked at me and said like he said i love it and can you help me do the the english version the english version yeah so the english version was already kind of underway and it's kind of it it, you know it's tough when you have a a, a lot of people working on you know something a lot of a lot of chefs yeah Yeah. but luckily for me the Mm -hmm. spanish one really represented what i what i my my vision and it's so that that i'm very proud of how that Turned out, we even had Luther Vanders at the end, and oh man, it's just crazy. Um, Juan Gabriel, um, if you've heard of any of these these names, but did the biggest names. But um, so that was Michael's attempt to do something. He really had such a big heart and wanted to do something to honor the victims or the the, the families uh, or for the families of the nine eleven, you know, tragedy. Um, anyway, it was kind of like a "We Are the World," you know, follow up.
0: Now we've talked a lot about. This theme of oneness uh, throughout this interview. You're one of the founding members of Oneness, a nonprofit organization that promotes racial unity through music, arts, and education. Through his writings, the founder of the Baha'i Faith, Baha'u'llah, shares that we are all created from the same dust and that we are like the fruits of the same tree and leaves of the same branch. You've described the oneness initiative as a global movement that's bringing the bahai-inspired perspective of oneness and racial unity to a secular world. Could you elaborate on this project, how it came about, what it entails, and who you've also been able to collaborate with?
1: Right around the same time we were talking about 1999, 2000, it, it came to a point where we were thinking a friend of a friend of Our family, Faith Holmes, and I were we're talking. We have these late night jacuzzi meetings, right? (laughs) And and she said, (laughs) she says, "Oh man, we should do something for you know to help fight racism and you know." And and I said, "Yeah, we could do a song." Or she said, "We should do a song for that." I said, "Why do a song? Why why don't why not an album?" (laughs) And I kind of like you know, hey, ambitious, and we're like, "Why not? Let's do something big," you know, because we had a lot of resources. We were really you know, in, in, in a great place. And we knew people from Recording Academy or people from the, all, all the music industry people, labels and whatnot. So we, um, just let's do what They said, well, what, what do we do with all the money? When we get all the money from the record sales, <laughs> very naive. Um, but, um, it, it kind of just led us into thinking like, well, well, we have to have a nonprofit or we, you know, so all of a sudden we started thinking about what if we had something that was using music uh, to fight racism and promote the oneness of uh, humanity, you know? So it, we, we started oneness. And uh, so we, then we were trying to figure out developing what kind of things we could do. And the first thing that kind of came to mind was the oneness awards. We did that, but then it was the uh, the songwriter summit was what the, the, the idea of bringing together up and coming songwriters to create music, uh, but really pushing the envelope with, you know, different styles in each room you and you'd have, we had a, a drumming circle, uh, and, a inspiration, uh, inspirational speech at the beginning. Joy DeGru, you know, came out and talked to uh, us about her African experience and, one, one year. And we did this for various years. Uh, the year that really stands out was when we took over the Jim Henson lot, studio lot, where the, you know, the Muppets and Chaplin stage, where A&M records used to be. And we had, you know, this amazing array of musicians, and the whole purpose was to create music that would speak to the oneness of humanity, or at least to, that had a theme of social justice, and, uh, and it was a beautiful thing so we did that and we had these, like I said the power of oneness awards honoring people in, in the industry uh, in in any kind of entertainment industry that uh, that were, were doing great things with with their work TV film or whatever mm-hmm. I don't know That that was and then we do different mentorship uh, kind of projects as well for kids uh, we and, and, and faith and Dennis Holmes kind of were running running it and it got, it got to be a lot of, a lot of work. And it, I think at a time, this is before black lives matter. So, so there was, a, I think it was, there was a lot bubbling, but people didn't really see the need for it yet. You know? Yeah. So everybody said we were yeah. kind of ahead of our time, but I still think that the whole concept of oneness is so important and what we, you know, we're, we're still doing things around the world and we'll, we'll bring oneness, the concept of oneness into the, the projects and, um, that we do, and, you know, it, but that was a really special moment in time.
0: Hmm. I wanna now segue this conversation about oneness to now talk about uh, your recent album release. In November last year, you released your second solo record, Cruzanderos, which you've described as following the immigrants' journey and the masses of souls looking for a new life in a new land. Could you walk us through this record, some of the themes, stories, and messages that are rooted in the lyrics of your songs, and maybe the unique instruments and traditional sounds that feature on the album, and who you are also blessed to record with?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, it was a beautiful, beautiful opportunity to, to call on a lot of the people that I had been working with. Uh, through you know, through my career, one of them was uh, like Gabby Moreno, the young Guatemalan singer. We also brought in La India, who's uh, I I had, I had written or actually produced back to back hits for her. She's a salsa artist, and we did her pop stuff. And um, mm. she's she's always been a good friend and a fan, and, and that's the you know that's what you want. You want someone who likes your music to sing yeah, on your records. So she came in and sang on a song called Pasaporte. Gabby sang on a song called Quisiera, which is kind of like talks about the, uh, the, um, the, the, the poverty and the wealth that, that kind of like are at play. And in, in Guatemala was really my, 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 where my head is at. And I, I, I hope to do a video with that song at some point. Um, also, Gustavo Santaolaya, the guy that I mentioned earlier, the producer and, and the, the film, film composer, um, he played on a song called, uh, Virgen del Sol, uh, he played the, the charango. Uh, and then we, uh, did, I have a song called Tanta Locura, which is, uh, kind of like this mystical kind of song about, you know, just desperately looking for your, your beloved everywhere and, uh, very much like Majnun and Leili. The story, kind of like the Romeo and Juliet story that's, that's alluded to a lot in the Baha'i writings, um, uh, so it has a spiritual side.
0: Well, you've already, you've mentioned that, yeah, your songs give voice to the people. And this really resonated with me when I watched some of your mm-hmm. music videos from this album, particularly Kanto, which you've already touched on. Um, and it focuses on indigenous people's universally intrinsic mm-hmm. relationship with the land and environment. Could you walk us through um, the themes and melodies in this song, which you said you worked on with JB, um, who's a musical colleague of yours, particularly for our non-Spanish-speaking listeners, including myself. Yeah,
1: tanto. So, so it's, it's um, yeah, maybe I'm trying to think of how the, the, the video kind of helped Define things a little more because we decided to, to focus on four different four different characters that were representing different um, uh, Native American tribes from South America all the way to North America, and so really touching on kind of the things that are the themes that that are kind of afflicting the planet that are basically um, caused by. By you know corporate greed and uh, the burning of the forests or the or the polluting of the of the water, but but the song is canto de la tierra, canto de la tierra, latiendo como un corazón. It's just a song from the earth, uh, song song from the from the soul. I sing so that the people will will wake up, so that the people will listen. Um, but it tells a story of of just the 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 fog the foggy morning in the jungle as the sun is rising and it's bringing new hope and possibility Um, and then it's like a prayer B section that says illumina desde arriba it says illumine from above dame el coraje y la fe y la verdad cantaré give me the courage and the faith and I will sing the truth dame el
2: coraje y la fe
1: so that's it's a very colorful video if you go to my website uh, you can click on, on the video and it's caseyporter.com K-C-Porter and you, and there's there's that and there's also the first single which is La Pared off the album and that's about the walls that divide us so it's just more of a simple song that's, you know it's just is like another day let me see what the, uh, I have a, a, a version that I did separate from the album it's a little more like like a and mm-hmm. like a horo like a cueca and that's another thing is because I don't have a, I don't have to worry about if I was from Ecuador it would have to be right if I was from Peru it would have to be right but because I'm kind of from LA, <laughs> I can mix <laughs> I can mix and match um, in ways that they mm-hmm. you know percussionists have told me the greatest percussionists have said. Hey man, you can't do that. You know, and it's like, well, well right. but does it work? And he said, well, yeah, but you can't really do that. And so, but it works, <laughs> it works and we love it, you know? And he's like, yeah, you're right. You know, uh, Hey, it's actually working. You know? but there's like the clave thing the three, you know, the three, two, two, three clave thing that, that everybody, uh-huh. you know, we all the time, we're joking about it and we hear here in the studio, the, the guys are saying like, Hey man, you have to, you have to add that little beat because otherwise you break the clave pattern. And that glided uh-huh. pattern is is it's it's just I don't know it's just it's like this hidden code that you have to respect and observe. But if you break it, all <laughs> of a sudden you're you know hey you know now you're the, the rule breaker and maybe you're you, and you get like everybody's like excited or angry. But but back to the song. So the so la pared is about the walls that you know about the wall in particular that is that and the video. Is, um, is the story of a father and his daughter that are separated at the border. And um, I can do a little So it's like, so like, I don't know, this is crazy. Anyway,
0: it's all in your head. You're trying to, forget
1: <laughs> yeah. I don't know, that sounds okay.
2: Común en la frontera, quien lo puede imaginar, que unos pasos y otros quedan, cada quien con su verdad, que le quita la esperanza,
0: que le exige
2: regresar. Quién fue la absurda idea de esa línea imaginaria tan difícil de cruzar. Que se caiga la pared, que se junte mi gente, que se caiga otra vez. Te lo digo de frente: que se caiga la pared, que se junte mi gente, que se caiga otra vez
1: you know that kind of thing little little south Beautiful. american thing but that was,
0: I love that version that was just the Thank stripped you. down version that yeah, was gorgeous I like
1: that more you know but it's like when I sat at the piano I'm like I'm a piano player how am I going to do this without a percussionist now now I like this better, so now I don't need a percussionist at least for that song. <laughs> but then with the percussionist, it's cool. we'll
0: get a better recording than this one. But um, I think that version was so emotional and uh, beautiful. Oh, I
1: know, and my vocals Thank probably way so louder than the piano. No, Sorry. it was perfect.
0: So. Thank you. Um, another song I was curious to learn more about is "Quisiera," uh, track ten on your album, which explores themes of economic equality and the eliminations of extremes of. Wealth and poverty, which mm-hmm. is a fundamental principle of the Bahai faith, could you elaborate on the inspiration behind uh, this song?
1: Um, exactly what you said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, taking that into consideration, you know how how is this 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 big gap of the extremes of wealth and poverty? How are they affecting us? And I think that's something that I I got to see a lot in Guatemala. Um, you know, you'd see the kids being picked up at, you know, in their Mercedes Benzes and, and, and then people that are like begging at the bus stop, you know, and I, and I had to take three buses to get to my piano lesson. So I always remember standing at the multiple bus stops and watching the Mercedes Benzes drive by. (laughs) And I was always thinking like, oh man, it's like, it's such a crazy, crazy extreme, you know, you know, just a handful of people that own most of the land here and the indigenous population is like 60% in Guatemala and they don't have voting rights they they don't know how to you know how do they vote you know they don't know you know their rights they and they're not afforded their rights and when they try to when they try to get rights uh, or anybody tries to help them get rights it's like it becomes a political issue or it's like, oh, it's you know, they're communist If they're helping, you know, it's just like it's really, really, it's a real serious issue because these are these are people. These are these are this is the population of Guatemala, the original inhabitants of Guatemala, and to just be take everything's taken away from them. And um, so, I'm sensitive to that. Uh, I, I am, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. All I can do is try to to share a little of that, but I, I, think it's not, it's not the solution in any way, but I think we do need to become aware of what is happening around us right now. Um, uh, malnutrition in Guatemala is, its it's the worst in all of America. There's, uh, you know, they say, f- I think 50% of all children in Guatemala are malnourished. So what does that mean? You know, that's why people are fleeing Latin America part partially because there's, either there's no jobs or there there's drought and there's no so you know if you're if your only food that you can get maybe is corn and if you don't even know how if you don't even have the right tools to be able to 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 grind it you know it's just like it's bleak uh and then of course then the violence that people are fleeing from uh, guatemala is getting worse but it's still not as, as bad as honduras or el salvador but uh, my heart has to, has you know, has, you know, has deep roots in Guatemala, but it's, it's always a challenge to figure out what can we do? How can we, how can we help? But I, I think, you know, trying.
0: And do you, do you hope that like, I have a few questions about mm-hmm. just your vision with your music, because you're addressing these really hard hitting issues that are not just relevant to South America, they're relevant to the world. I mean... Mm-hmm your story of like the in- injustice around indigenous populations is very familiar to me living in Canada. So mm-hmm. yeah, what are you, what do you, who do you hope is like listening to your songs and, and most impacted and, and what do you hope to really overall achieve with, with your music and your lyrics?
1: Well, it's interesting because I did go to school, uh, a number of schools in Guatemala, but I ended up at the American school. And I remember a lot of the people that were in my class and other classes. They were the more affluent people in Guatemala. And um, so I think I think about some of the people I know still are people that are well connected, well, you know, well off. Um, and I'm hoping that that you know I can you know kind of be a, a constant reminder to anybody out there that you know that that there's there's still a lot of stuff that needs to be done but i, I feel like we we keep falling back in a I don't know in what we you know the comfort that we know and how do you how do you put yourself out there and with you know and it's it, it can be dangerous too i mean cuz guatemala and 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 latin american countries there's a lot of kidnapping a lot of stuff like that so there's all kinds of stuff to be to be aware of but I think when you have those kind of extremes of poverty and and wealth, it, it's it's only a matter of time before it's going to start getting, you know, it's getting it's going to get worse and worse, and the the stories are starting to to surface, although people have been trying to keep under, you know, under wraps so that no one really knows about that, so tourism doesn't drop, you know. But stuff stuff is happening, and and it's because people are, you get desperate, you're hungry, you want to, you know, you'll do whatever it takes and that's, it's human nature. So we, so we really you know, need, need to do a lot of work. Hmm.
0: I mean, what I'm hearing from you is that you really want your, your music to be a voice for the voiceless, but also to draw attention to a lot of those injustices and to those people in power, um, to pay attention if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And be open to hearing everybody's voice and, and I I understand that there's two sides. The whole our our you know the United States being so polarized, it's it's telling because there there are there's truth to all to all everybody's perspective. No one no one has is all right and no one's all all wrong. You know.
0: You've had such a full and extensive career in music. And looking back, what experience has really stood out to you or been a highlight for you? Uh,
1: musically. Uh, I really feel like, I feel like meeting someone like Santana was, you know. And people, when you find the people that are at the you know, the most respected artists, or like Celine Dion, you know, when you walk into the studio or show walk, walk in and say, if it's not too much trouble, do you mind if I have five minutes to breastfeed my baby? <laughs> you know, <laughs> that never, I never forgot that because it's kind of like, you know, she she could be whatever she wants to be. She could say whatever she wants to say, and no one's gonna but she has that that respect for all people and i and it's mm. really stayed with me too and i found that that kind of communication really works well and like it makes everybody part of this whole process um either musical process or this process of life you know what what can we do you know consulting as you as you mentioned too that is so important
0: I know you're an incredibly humble person, but if I may ask, what do you owe these uh, achievements and accolades to in your life? Uh,
1: I feel like the sacrifices my parents made, so that I could, I could, uh, you know, to take us to Guatemala. I really, I really feel that that, starting with that, which is, uh, it gave me that opportunity to to be a little bit more aware of the world around me. I think in the writings it talks, one of the things it talks about is accustoming your children to hardship. And I think that stepping out of my suburban LA life really did give me that opportunity to, it, it wasn't even as much as a hardship, it was just exposing me to to a world, another another world, and just to be open-minded more so. You know, coming back to the United States was a culture shock for me. It wasn't the other way around. <laughs> Not, you know what I mean? Coming back, it's just like, oh my gosh, this is just like, wow. Mater- the materialism mm-hmm. factor here totally. was very visible. But now being here, it's just kind of like, oh, well, it's everywhere. And it's like, oh, well, if I can buy it, why can't I buy it? If I can own it, if I can, you know. But then you create you create a big big headache for yourself. Then you have all stuff. Then you have to figure out where to put your stuff, you know.
0: yeah. Well, before we close, we always like to ask our artists what they've got coming up in the pipeline. So what what have you got coming up in the pipeline?
1: Oh, after I produce this uh, this Mexican rock band, Panteon, I will be I think I'm gonna be flying to Spain to do my third album. I really the Santa the San <laughs> Tanta Locura really of uh, my my album. It kind of gives you a taste of something that really just moves me a lot i feel like the the music of the rumba rumba flamenca is uh just it's so deep and so passionate and um and maybe it'll rub off a little bit (laughs) onto my western uh soft you know demeanor (laughs) you know what i mean it's just they're very very steeped in this Ole! you know very powerful yeah. and uh, yeah. but I just I love it so that may be that. that's what I'm hoping to do this year so um, hope to see something I, I think I'll release a single or two at a time a little by little.
0: just casually yeah <laughs> <laughs> why not yeah, right <laughs>
1: yeah who knows
0: yeah oh that's exciting yeah. Casey we've sadly come to the end of this episode of Cloud9 but I want to thank you so much on behalf of the team at Bahaiteachings.org for Joining us and taking the time to share your stories, um, I've been so inspired by your journey and thank you how you've been able to serve humanity through your work and your efforts as an artist. So look forward to catching up in the future and seeing what uh, what you're you're able to achieve in the next year or so.
1: Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, and uh, yeah, look forward to this the future. Here.
0: <laughs> next chapter. <laughs> yes. Awesome. Thank you again. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Thanks so much for listening to Cloud9. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Feel free to check out Bahaiteachings.org where you can find more Baha'i-inspired podcasts, videos, and articles.